Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And the first story that I brought is dinosaur news. <laughs> like I said, I've made it a segment one time, you so did, it's a segment yeah. forever. Um, nice. This comes from Gizmodo. Uh, newly discovered spiked dinosaurs from South America look like creatures from No Man's Sky. Have you seen, oh! you know the game No Man's Sky? Yeah, the I played that, that for a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's neat. And yeah. so the creatures in it are kind of wild which is really, they don't actually mention it at all in the article, just in the headline. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> it's fine, because the dinosaurs are really cool, and I'm really excited right. to show you a picture. But first, uh, new research published this week in Scientific Reports. Uh, that's the name of a publication, not just, <laughs> not just Scientific Reports scientific in general. Report. <laughs> uh, uh, it describes a new species of dinosaur its discoverers are calling... Uh, Bahatosaurus pronospinax. Uh, they had a pronunciation Ooh. guide, in case you're wondering <laughs> how okay. I got that one. Um, but the first half of its name references the uh, geological formation where its fossils were found, the uh, Bahata Colorado formation in northern Patagonia, Argentina, which is all, that's a very n- pleasant statement. Bahata Colorado formation in northern Patagonia, Argentina. Is it like... Isn't that flows. nice? It flows really nicely. Off the tongue. Um, the latter part of its name means bent over forward spine, which is <laughs> not as fun of a statement. But um, but this ew, is because that's almost like ew. this is because of its most distinctive feature, which are a, a set of very long spines on its neck that protrude out and like towards its head. So they like they go forward, unlike hmm. most spines on dinosaurs, which usually go towards the tail. Yeah. Um, I really want to show you the picture because it, it looks really cool. I'm excited. Um, the fossilized remnants of this creature featuring a nearly complete skull with some teeth were uncovered in 2013 by paleontologists from several institutions um, working together, not in different places. Uh, Bahatosaurus was a lower Cretaceous sauropod, a group of long-necked four-legged dinosaurs. So, you know, the long neck Yeah. Type. Yeah, that type. Uh, it lived 140 million years ago in what is now Argentina, and it belonged to a subgroup of sauropods called, ooh, uh, this one does not have a pronunciation guide, uh, Decreosaurids, sure, uh, mm. which were medium-sized sauropods with distinctive vertebrae and long spines along their necks and backs. Um, Bahatosaurus is notable both for the size of its spikes and their forward-leaning orientation. The longest of these spines measured nearly five feet in length. It's a very long spine. Wow. It's like the size of a small person. Um, the function of the spikes isn't clear. Uh, possibilities include heat regulation, mating display, um, a fat reservoir similar to some like how a camel has humps, yeah. um, or a defense against predators. Uh, the authors of the new study favor uh, the defense idea. Can, uh, they believe that any predator that would try to attack it would risk impaling themselves on these spikes. Yeah. Um, but for that hypothesis to work, the spines would need to be strong enough to avoid shattering or fracturing. And there's a lot of disagreement among these scientists as to whether that would actually be the case. So uh, the next step is probably for them to simulate with like computer simulations whether these things could actually res- um, withstand any amount of force. Hmm. Um, I have to show you a picture of this dinosaur. It's probably my new favorite because it just looks really cool. Whoa! And they actually, they rec- they recovered one of its vertebrae, so that's like how they know the length of these spines. 
with like the spine that coming out really of it. really cool. It's so neat. They described it as kind of a punk looking dinosaur because yeah, it, it, it looks like it has like, like a, a, mohawk. a mohawk. It's really yeah. cool. And it's just <laughs> totally unlike anything I think we've ever seen before. Wow. It's like a unicorn with a million horns. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They are still discovering more I know. species That's of That's the cool thing. It's like you would How? think. I, I mean, it's presumptuous to say you would think we have them all by now but like you still like the fact that we're finding things that are so different from anything that we've ever seen before it's amazing and i know one of the articles um that we were looking at before was saying how that new technology is allowing scientists to look at fossils they already had Mm -hmm. and make new conclusions from them there's actually another story that i i didn't bring this week but uh it was about uh the first fossil feather that they ever found. Oh, I saw that. They, I they, saw that, They went yeah. back and looked at it again with a new type of imaging technique and were able to actually see the quill of the feather, which wasn't previously, was like, wasn't actually preserved in there. But, like, mm. because of these techniques, they were able to, like, see where it would have been or something. I don't know. I, obviously, I'm way oversimplifying it, but using like, that technology, they were able to determine, um, like, where on the creature the feather would have been, and they determined that it wasn't actually a feather from Archaeopteryx, which they had kind of assumed. So, like... There you go. So we're still making new discoveries. We're finding out things about old things, like, that we it's already... Really that cool. we'd already found, and it's... It's... Uh, dinosaurs are so cool. <laughs> that's something yes. I don't think... That's something I don't think I'll ever grow out of. Like, <laughs> my childhood love of dinosaurs, and now... Aww. They're still... They're still awesome. Did you have dinosaur toys when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. I did not, as well. Not a ton, but yeah, I had I had some. I had like this certain set of dinosaur toys that I played with for years. Yeah. It's pretty fun. They're awesome. All right. Well, my first story is entertainment news. This one is uh, pretty silly, and I chose it for the headline. Good. Uh, Universal Orlando now has a butt-naked troll that farts glitter at guests. I saw this. <laughs> did you see the video of oh, it? Oh, yes, I did. It's ridiculous. What were they thinking? <laughs> I don't know. Universal Studios has a new character in one of its theme parks. Guy Diamond, a troll from the <laughs> Trolls animated movie, has a well-defined bare bottom that not only farts at guests, but fires off glitter when it does. Guy Diamond recently joined Trolls, Branch, and Poppy, who have been doing meet and greets at the theme park for some time now. The three trolls do a dance for the park guests, and then at the end, Guy Diamond releases a glitter fart, just like he does in the Trolls film. Apparently, I haven't seen the film. Yeah, I haven't either, but I guess I'll take their word for it, because why would they make that up? The theme park's websites show that the trolls meet with the guests six times a day at the Kid Zone in Universal Studios, Florida. (laughs) So if you're visitting there soon, that's going to be there too. Stop by and watch a farting troll if you really want to. And keep your kids far back (laughs) enough, I guess, because I feel like they would be right at head height. (laughs) A mouthful of glitter. My next story is technology news. This comes from CNET. Uh, Samsung tries to turn your refrigerator into Tinder. What? (laughs) That is the correct response. Uh, So while you might mostly associate Samsung with phones, tablets, and TVs, the electronics giant is trying to make inroads into your love life by launching a dating app called Refrigerating. No. 
Yep. I'm not kidding. I, I desperately I, wish I was kidding. Wow. No, it's... Uh, yeah, anyway, the free app, the, the free app works with the uh, Samsung Family Hub refrigerator, which is a $4,000 appliance with a touchscreen on the door that you can use to view the family's schedule and an ingredient tracking camera that lets you double check whether you're out of milk. Um, and with the app, you take a photo of the inside of your fridge to share, and then you can swipe right or left based on the contents of someone else's fridge. What? So it's what? basically Tinder, but you base it on what they have in their fridge, I guess. What? Um, and also, if you don't have the super expensive refrigerator, you can just take a photo with your phone, apparently. I guess you can just use this app. I don't know why I haven't downloaded it, because I definitely want to see what this is all about. So you take a photo of the inside of your of fridge. The, the contents of your fridge. Post that as like a profile that's, type thing. Yeah, I guess that's your profile. And then you I don't know judge if other people's inside of their fridge? Yep. Uh, and uh, the idea is that what's in the fridge could provide a more authentic look at who you are and how you live, which I guess, but... Okay. See, mine would be really sad because I get all the meal kits. So, like, at any given time during the week, I either have, like, meat and, like, just ingredients in bags, <laughs> like, and, like, pre-portioned ingredients, or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> if I've prepared I mean... all those, my fridge is just empty. <laughs> <laughs> So are you going to make, which photo are you going to make your profile? The know. empty one or the or If you can have more than prep. one, I'll have both, I guess. Yeah. I, like I said, I should have downloaded it just to see. I, I should download this too. I want to download this and just, just see what it's all about. Just to see what about. it's all about. Uh, and they included a fun statistic from the Statistic Brain Research Institute, which sounds made up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, we want the Statistic Brain, brain Research, Research Institute? Institute. <laughs> yeah. They really need to, I, I don't know. They didn't really cite the source. They just had the name. Uh, so they found that more than 90% of the 54.3 million singles in the U.S. have tried their luck with dating apps. So it's a pretty, wow. It's a pretty high number. Yeah, that is pretty high. Um, but yeah, I, I want to try this because it just sounds ridiculous. I feel like this is the type of thing that would be amusing for like Five 60 minutes. seconds. <laughs> See, I gave, it, it, I gave yeah. it more stock, I guess. <laughs> And then you would just be bored. I would be so bored, I bet. And then you'd be like, why did I just buy this $4,000 refrigerator? Oh, yeah. The, the refrigerator just seems like a huge waste of money at this point. I mean... Like, until they can have it, like, teleport fresh ingredients into your fridge. Like, I'm not paying for a fridge that's more than just cold. Yeah, like, wait, what, the other features were, like, inventorying your fridge, right? Yeah, and I guess it but has a touch it screen it? that you could use and as opposed to, like, a note... I mean, okay, I could see it maybe if the fridge, like, auto-detected when you took something out of it and it just knew. Yeah. That'd that be kind of cool. You had this thing how and would you took it, it out. How would it know, like, if you have milk? Like, it comes in a million different kinds of containers, different brands. Like, it's not going to know unless you well, tell it when you like put it Well, maybe, like, it in. has some type of smart scanner that whenever you put anything in it, it, like, scans the item and it you just knows have to what's make in sure, there. You just have to make sure the barcode is facing out at all times or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it if it could somehow magically do that. I would maybe consider. I consider it, but later like, in my life. Well, yeah, but definitely not now when I'm doing all no, the meal kits because that's not that's, that's pointless. Not, that's completely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Your fridge is empty. I know. 
<laughs> I like a, it like alert. that. Alert. <laughs> More food needed. Alert. <laughs> alert. You may be starving. <laughs> alert. Are you hungry? Our data shows you may be hungry. <laughs> Our data um, shows that humans without food are hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Whoa. Fridge. That's one for you, Fridge. One point for the Fridge there. Okay, my next story is health news. This is from Gizmodo. And the headline is, Doctors zap brains of surgery patients to make them laugh. Oh. It's a good thing. It's okay. not oh, a good. bad thing. <laughs> it sounds like an evil genius kind of thing. Like a it's mad a, scientist is, I think, the word I was, or the phrase I was looking ah, for. Yes, but. it is a genius kind of thing, but it's not mad. Um, or evil. Or evil. So some forms of brain surgery require patients to be awake and responsive, a rather unsettling proposition. Uh-huh. Neuroscientists have now devised an ingenious way of reducing fear and anxiety during these delicate procedures by electrically stimulating a part of the brain that triggers laughter and good feelings. Oh. A distinct pathway in the white matter part of the brain known as the cingulum bundle can be used to alleviate stress and anxiety during awake brain surgery, according to the new research published Monday in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. When electrically stimulated, this pathway triggers instantaneous laughter in the patient. But unlike previous experiments, this laughter was also accompanied by positive, uplifting feelings. Preliminary research suggests this technique could be used to calm patients during awake brain surgery with the authors of the new study led by neuroscientist Kelly Bijanki from Emory University School of Medicine, saying the findings could also lead to innovative new treatments for depression, anxiety, and chronic pain. Hmm. Bijanki, with the help of Emory neurosurgeon John T. Willey, electrically stimulated the cingulum bundle of three epilepsy patients as they were undergoing preliminary diagnostic monitoring prior to brain surgery. All the patients exhibited similar responses, including laughter, smiling, elevated mood, and pain relief. Basically, mild euphoria. (laughs) Wow. The technique was later used on one of these patients during the actual brain surgery to positive results. This marks the first time that this sort of stimulation has been used to counteract the stress of awake surgery, according to the surgeons. The alternative would have been to give the patients sedating medications, which can interfere with their ability to participate in awake surgery and help with the brain mapping used to distinguish between problem areas and important functional areas. Which they ha- That's why they keep them awake, because they have yeah. to be able to do that. Oh, that's so um, cool and terrifying. I know. <laughs> but most, mostly cool. Um, so this is a quote from the people that worked on this project. The most important thing we learned in this study is that a very small area of the brain may be reproducibly targeted to elicit happiness and relaxation. While we used direct electrical stimulation with surgically placed electrodes in this study, we hope that this will ultimately lead to less invasive approaches to treat this and related brain areas. The future promises the development of ways to produce focal brain modulation with less invasive techniques that use beams of electricity, light, or ultrasound energy, or even gene therapy to activate or disrupt focal brain functions for therapeutic benefit. Many of these are not yet practical or proven as effective in humans yet, but some have already been demonstrated to reach more superficial brain areas. Um, Also, non-invasive transcranial magnetic stimulation of the superficial frontal lobe, for instance, (laughs) no, that's very technical, but is already being used by psychiatrists to treat some forms of depression with promising early results. So they're already like researching techniques to non-invasively use different types of energy and focus it at your brain to like stimulate different areas and help treat um, negative, you know, neuro conditions. So that's so cool. I thought this was super interesting. Yeah. And awesome. But also every time I find out about something like this, it just makes like, doesn't it just make feelings feel like a lie? (laughs) 
in a way. You know way. what's interesting? Yes. Because you can just you can just induce happiness. And like, like it's funny yikes. because I didn't include this part, but at the end of this article, they actually talked about that how these types of therapies are eliciting some conversation about like ethics, right? With this stuff, like, oh, what are we doing? We're just making feelings artificially. But their response to that was basically, well, if you really think about it, like. All emotions are some level of like artificial, like um, <laughs> chemical yeah. reactions happening in your brain. Um, so really, arguably, it's all chemical reactions. If you're doing something to help to change those chemical reactions, you're you're not doing something that's like un, really unnatural. It's just right. It's just it. it's just another way to make them happen. Yeah, right. Like as opposed to doing something that like makes you happy, just from your normal environment, right. basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's there's some level of existential dread there though. Like just like, oh wow, yeah. we're it's all up in it's all it's up all in here. the in the head box. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um I don't know. This could be a whole discussion. Yeah. Very detailed. I oh that is and deep. <laughs> all I know is that I don't fear this type of thing right now and I don't it doesn't make me feel like We'll see that dread, the, right? Like that. Just that's the neat thing, though, is that the dread I'm feeling is an example of one of these feelings that's a lie. <laughs> but see, that's the thing; they're not a lie; they're real. But are they? What is a real feeling versus a false feeling? That's what I'm questioning now. Is there a real? Fe- I don't know. This is this is a, this is a <laughs> rabbit hole. You, I don't need really to go down discussion. right now. But uh, the last story that I brought is space news. This comes from Thrillist. Uh, NASA is going to knock an asteroid out of orbit in first ever planetary defense test. Really? Doesn't that sound like something out of a sci-fi movie? Yes. Um, it kind of is, uh, but in real life. In uh, what's being touted as the first ever test of a true planetary defense system, NASA has teamed up with the European Space Agency to try and knock an asteroid off course by crashing into it with a special probe traveling at roughly four miles per second. So just like a probe just going real fast, going to right into it. Hmm. Um, This is the the Double Asteroid Redirect Test, or DART, project, (laughs) which is a pretty good name, honestly. I I do like that. It involves targeting an asteroid known as uh, Didymos and a much smaller rock that orbits it that they have decided to call Didamoon, (laughs) which (laughs) I really, really appreciate. Uh, (laughs) And uh, essentially throwing the, the ladder, the moon, off course. Um, it's not technically a moon, I guess, cause it's like near, just near, or it's orbiting an asteroid. I don't think that, I, whatever. Um, neither, <laughs> Technicalities. Of the, yeah. <laughs> neither of these rocks, uh, poses a threat to earth. They'll both be about 7 million miles away from the planet at their closest point, but that's why they're using them as test objects. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of size, uh, Dida moon is about as big as the great pyramid of Giza, um, making it the smallest asteroid to ever be visited by a probe, though visit is a generous term for crashing something into it. Uh, However, if an asteroid that big were to hit the Earth at a typical speed of nearly 19 miles per second, it could potentially wreck an entire region of the globe, according to the European Space Agency. So even something as big as one of the pyramids could do significant damage. Um, So NASA plans to launch its probe between 2020 and 2021 and expects expects it to collide with Dida Moon in October of 2022. So still a little ways out before this all goes down, but um, the plans are now official. Um, That's and, pretty sweet. And after that, and, uh, a European space agency craft known as HERA 
will launch toward uh, the Didymos and Didymoon and investigate the crater created by DART uh, in a few years after it happens uh, to determine its, quote, momentum transfer and precisely how effective the deflection method was. So NASA's going to... How appropriate is it that the American Space Agency is sending the thing that crashes into it and the European Space Agency is sending something after <laughs> to check how to it check did? what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> Just right into <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But I thought that sound, that's really cool. That is really cool. Because you always so wonder, if, like, what if something does come towards the Earth? What are we going to do? Yeah. And now we're actually looking into doing yeah. something. Like, let's actually test this so that we know that if we ever had to really do this, we can be a little bit more confident right. in our ability. As long as it doesn't happen in, like, the next decade or so. Yeah. We'll be fine. Yeah. Which I think they can t- see they that should be able, the They should be able to tell if something is coming within 10 years. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they can hit something 7 million miles away, I imagine they can detect something. That's going to hit us in 10 that's years. That's going to hit us in 10 years. Hopefully. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an asteroid scientist. That's true. That's not even a thing. Or it's is not. it? It might be. Wait, is it a thing? Could be a thing. They could definitely tell if us if that thing. thing's an actual moon, I bet. Yes. Data moon. That's very clever. It is. Okay, my next story is history news. <laughs> Broad. I can't think, <laughs> couldn't think of a really great category for this one. Um, this is from LiveScience.com. Debris from a plane wreck found off of Papua New Guinea could be Amelia Earhart's. What? They th- someone thinks they might have found Amelia Earhart's plane. Huh. I didn't realize that. I mean, I guess I knew we hadn't, but I didn't realize we were still looking. Oh, yeah. Apparently there's this whole like community of people that are still searching for her plane. <laughs> I okay. found out. I just assumed it was at the bottom of the ocean, which is real big. People are searching the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Near certain land points where she was known to have oh, been planning okay. to fly. That's probably more productive than searching the whole thing. Just not, yeah, yeah. They, they know where she was planning to fly and they're searching those. So this is about one of those people that he thinks he's onto something. So, uh, okay, so the article starts out. In the 1930s, a small boy on Papua New Guinea Island saw a plane. Its left wing engulfed in flames crash onto the beach. The tide quickly dragged the plane offshore and underwater, where it's still there and it's now covered with coral. One amateur historian thinks the plane could have belonged to Amelia Earhart. We're still exploring to try to find out whose plane it is. We don't want to jump ahead and assume that it's Amelia's said. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's name sounds like something from Harry Potter. William Snavely? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds made up. Yeah, um... Sorry, and He's the director of Project Blue Angel, the group spearheading the project to identify the plane. He says, but everything we're seeing so far would tend to make us think it could be. On a diving expedition in August of 2018, divers with Project Blue Angel said the sunken plane matched certain characteristics of Earhart's plane, which was a Lockheed Electra 10E. Hmm. The team also found a glass disc that could possibly be a light lens from the front of the plane. However, much more analysis is needed. The group now has a GoFundMe page to raise money for a second trip to Papua New Guinea, and experts still need to examine the glass. It's obvious that the the glass appears to be old and covered significantly with barnacles, Snavely told Live Science. It has a rough shape and diameter that appears to be relatively consistent with lights that were on the plane back in the 1930s for Lockheed, but we don't know for sure if it's a Lockheed light yet. That's what we're getting checked out right now. So they have all these plane parts, and they're just getting them tested, and they're trying to gather the evidence that if it was her... 
So yeah, it's a long, long unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool that even now they can maybe, maybe wrap I, that up. <laughs> I think that would be nice if they, for sure, figured it out. Closure just, is just good. closure, you know. Yeah. Okay, it's time for breaking news. Ooh. High pitched. Uh, <laughs> this is the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Ready, set, go. go. Uh, my story comes from Engadget. Uh, new emoji for 2019 include wheelchairs, waffles, and sloths. New emojis. New emojis. I- I think I've talked about how much I like following new yeah. emojis and looking up what's coming. Anyway, Are there a lot of new ones? There's That's what the article's oh, about. Okay, okay. Um, so it's the time of year when the Unicode, uh, wow, the Unicode Consortium, or Consortium, I think we had this discussion last time too <laughs> about how that's actually pronounced. Um, but this is when they announce which new emoji will be uh, added to the uh, the standard. Um, this year's selection includes 59 new base emoji and 230 if you include all the gender and skin color variations. Um, wow. Because one of the big things that they're adding is you'll be able to have emoji of uh, like different skin colors and different genders and like you can choose among all of them. So that adds like a ton of variations. Oh, yeah. Um, because like right now all of the all of the uh, couples are not interracial, so... Uh, so that's a that's a pretty cool addition. They're also adding a lot of stuff like that promotes accessibility, like wheelchairs and guide dogs um, and hearing aids. And then there's some of the really silly additions, which they always include. That includes new animals like a sloth, a flamingo, and an orangutan. Um, <laughs> uh, new food, including a waffle, <laughs> a juice box, and an onion, which okay. I'm surprised there wasn't an onion before. That seems like it would have been a, a hmm. hanging fruit. Yeah. And there's also... Um, some uh, more cultural choice uh, additions like a Hindu temple, a sari, and a tuk-tuk, which is the little three-wheeled vehicle. Um, that's more common in like other countries. We don't have them here really. Um, they're kind of like a golf cart, but with three wheels. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And so there's kind of, it's a really eclectic mix of stuff that they're adding. Um, the Unicode consor- consortium, sure. I, I think that's what it is. I think probably, it's, consor- it's consortium. Probably. Um, they says that new emoji typically arrive in September or October, right around when Apple and Google release their major OS updates, and that's that's usually true from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you might have to wait a little longer if you have an Android device because sometimes they don't provide updates right away. But, yeah, there's quite cool. a few ones coming. There's also... <laughs> There's one that's like a pot of honey. There's one of somebody yawning. <laughs> 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 Looks like there's an ice cube in there. So hmm. a lot of stuff. I love emoji. <laughs> All right. Well, I found a story on Reuters. And the headline is, Guy in Colorado fends off mountain lion with bare hands. Oh, no. A Colorado jogger strangled a juvenile mountain lion in the foothills of Horsetooth Mountain, northwest of Denver, acting in self-defense after the predator attacked him, according to authorities. Huh. Does that happen often? No. They don't usually it's attack? It's very rare. They oh. don't usually attack people. I wonder if something was wrong with it. Yeah, we, uh, we don't know. The, the man who was not identified survived the life-and-death struggle in the Horsetooth Mountain open space 
a mountain park less than 70 miles from Denver, officials said. The man was running on a trail when the juvenile cougar attacked him from behind, biting and clawing his face, back, legs, and arms. During the struggle, the man strangled the wild animal with his bare hands. Oh, my God. The runner went to a hospital, officials said, with injuries that were serious but not life-threatening. That's so, terrifying. It's terrifying, but also, like, how did he even do that? He strangled a mountain lion. I didn't even know you could do that. How do you even do that? I'm looking at my own hands. Could I, like, wrap them around? So I, I don't know how big their necks are. I don't know. That's a really dark thought. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean for it to get dark. I just was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't this know how you do that. Like, that's not it's good that he, That's good that he's okay. It's a shame about the mountain lion, but like, yeah, if they don't usually attack people, I wonder if there was something, something else. There. Yeah. The, it, it did say that, that that was actually very rare for them to attack people. Yeah. Usually like they're that. more scared of us sort of thing. I think. Like, they stay away from... Yeah, areas. like, they're not... They don't usually, like, try to, like, hunt down people, like, unless they're unless they're cornered or something like that. Right. Um, so that was a really rare thing, but this could have ended very bad. Like, not that the... I mean, it's bad that the mountain lion was killed, but, like, this guy easily could have been killed in this. Oh, like, yeah. Those things are strong. Yeah. Ooh. This is crazy. Yeah. I was just... I was just in Denver, like, walking around in mountains and things, and... Oh, yeah. I guess that's all the more, that's all the more reason not to go by yourself. Yeah, you gotta be careful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I didn't mean for that to be that sad, but uh, that's our show. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We uh, post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast app you would like to use. Uh, and while you're there, maybe give us a little uh, little rating or something. I don't know. How's five stars sound? Sound good to you? r r Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> rate and review. A little r r uh, Well remembered. Uh, <laughs> You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash news and on Twitter at at news. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bijanki, with the help of Emory neurosurgeon John T. Willie, electrically stimulated the singulum bundle of three epilepsy <laughs> patients. <laughs> of three Sorry. Ep- Sorry. <laughs> we should probably go back so I don't laugh at John T. Willie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's a person's name. Yes. His last name it is, is Willie. Yes, it is. Also, I say his name one or two more times in this. Okay, so I'll just prepare prepared. myself. Okay. Sorry. I didn't even think that that was funny until I read it out loud. Yeah. Like this, like when I John earlier I did. <laughs> <laughs>